Welcome to ESA Explores, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. I'm Ali Kohler, Stephen Ennis is on the sound desk. This is ESA Explores. This. Nie. Ato. Seven. Seis. Fünf. Stere. Drei. Dwa. One. In this episode, we catch up with ESA astronaut Matthias Maurer as he prepares to fly to the International Space Station for his first mission, Cosmic Kiss. At the time of recording, we were around 100 days out from Matthias's expected launch date and eagerly awaiting the launch of ESA's European robotic arm to the space station on the back of new Russian module MLM. Today, MLM, short for Multi-Purpose Laboratory Module, is docked and will increase the station's capacity for research. Soon, Matthias will also make his trip to the International Space Station, where he will work on research in microgravity and assist in the setup of the European robotic arm. But who better to tell us more about all that than the astronaut himself? So without further ado, here's our chat with Matthias. Welcome, Matthias Maurer. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us on ESA Explores podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. So I know your training schedule is really busy, especially as you prepare for your first mission to the International Space Station. Can I ask, where are you today? Where are you right now? I'm still in Russia and um, it's actually my very last training day today. And uh, so I trained here like how to work uh, on the Russian segment in general, but I also studied specific tasks. Uh, One of these tasks was European robotic arm, how to operate it inside the station, but also doing a spacewalk, how to uh, activate the European robotic arm. And that was a very interesting training for me. Absolutely. And it's actually particularly relevant today. As we're talking to you, the robotic arm is getting prepared to launch to space. So later on today, it's going to be launched. And that robotic arm is going to provide unprecedented access to the exterior of the Russian segment. But to do that, it needs a helping hand. And you just talked a little bit about that helping hand. You're going to be helping with error in space, and that means a spacewalk for you, potentially a Russian spacewalk? Yes, that's correct. So uh, it's not only me, it's also Thomas Pesquet, who's currently on board of the station. He will run the very first checkout task. Without seeing uh, ERA actually moving, Thomas will activate the system, check it out. Um, once I'm on board of the station, there will be a Russian EVA, and I will be the operator inside. Then um, in this EVA, ERA will be unpacked, so the MLI that protected it during the launch will be taken away and also some launch restraints will be taken away and uh, then we will see the first movements of ERA climbing from the position that it was stowed in for the launch into its actually working position. And that will be very exciting. It will be something new also for the Russian colleagues because so far they have a lot of experience with spacewalks but never had any experience with a spacewalk in combination with robotic um, operations outside. So you have a full second team available on console, the robotics team, and all this interaction, when to work on the arm, when to work with the astronauts outside or cosmonauts outside, that needs a lot of training. And that's part of the preparation that we did here. Then later on, there will also be the chance for me hopefully to go outside in an Orland spacesuit together with a Russian cosmonaut colleague and um, then to take off the very last restraints on ERA to install some video cameras on the booms 
And that means that ERA will be fully operational and a Russian cosmonaut colleague from the inside will then act as an operator, will move the arm while we do the final preparations. And after this EVA, hopefully ERA is 100% ready to work all the different tasks that it's supposed to do. Okay. So once it's ready to work all the different tasks, do you know what those initial tasks will be? Will you be involved in those as well? Well, the main task for ERA is to perform inspection of the outer surface of the MLM and the Russian segment. But the Russians also have already a new airlock up there on the station. It's been transported by one of the last space shuttle flights and it's sitting there and waiting to be installed onto the MLM. And that is an airlock, which is for scientific purposes. It's similar like the airlock that the Japanese colleagues have in the GEM module. And it allows to um, put science inside the station into this airlock to close the inner hatch, then to open the outer hatch, bring the science out and the robotic arm picks up the science and places it on, on the position where it will be uh, sitting outside for the next months, maybe even years to study the experiment. And uh, so that will be a very new asset for the uh, Russian colleagues. And I think ERA will be heavily used for that one, but it also can be used to install new hardware on the outside. And one of this hardware is a radiator panel for uh, MLM. This radiator panel was too big to have it installed um, during the launch. And so it came up there individually, also via um, another flight. And with the use of ERA, this huge radiator panel will be connected to um, MLM and then um, that will increase the cooling capacity for the Russian segment. You've talked a bit about the functionality and what this arm is going to enable, but you've also shared a lot of your training experiences on social media. So we've seen you in the Russian Orlan suit. We've also seen you in the US EMU suit. So is it normal that the astronauts are trained in both of these suits? Uh, it used to be normal, actually. Um, so until 10, 15 years ago, some of the American colleagues were cross-trained for both suits. And also some of my European astronaut colleagues had during their basic training, like runs in the Orland suit. So I remember that Alex had run, Samantha was already in the suit, uh, Andy Morgensen was there. I believe that was more kind of a generic training um, in case one of the suits failed. You always had the backup option with the other suit. But um, that it actually becomes um, a case that you plan for a nominal mode to go outside in an Orland suit is something new for us European astronauts. Um, it's related to ERA, obviously, because we bring up European hardware to the Russian segment. And so that is a part of a barter element um, that we get in, in a spacewalk in exchange for that one. It is, however, not completely new because on the Mir space station, we had already some European astronauts walking in space in an Orland suit. And so from your experiences, how have you found the difference between the two suits? I like the Orland suit very much. Um, in the beginning, people told me, ah, it has a higher pressure inside and it's not as sophisticated as the EMU. Um, but actually, there are like advantages on both suits. And um, so I think the combination of both suits would be the ideal suit for me. The Orland suit is a kind of a backpack on the back of a suit. So you open that backpack and climb in there. Um, so it's very convenient to get inside the suit. Um, for the American suit, it's uh, already uh, first part of the daily activities to climb in. You're already sweating 
when you're in the suit because it's more demanding. The Russian suit also, it has kind of a simpler design, but a more robust design. And so I like very much all the thought process that the engineers put in there because it really shows you can have a very good suit if you um, design it consequently from the beginning to the end. The American suit has more options, so you can adjust it to the different sizes. Uh, it's always kind of a tailor-made suit for the astronaut. Um, you have different lengths of legs, of arms, of you have three different huts, so the, the hut upper torso element. You have more than 50 different gloves. The Russians have one suit fits all, and it actually does. And so I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, it's a very good job that they did. The suit is only 50% of what you need outside. The other 50% is your mini workstation, or let's say the toolbox that you carry around with you. And this toolbox is mounted to your chest. And there, the American suit is very, very strong because the American colleagues developed a lot of effort uh, or invested a lot of effort to develop uh, a lot of tools, very useful tools. And so that part could be improved on the Russian side. And uh, so that's what I mean, like taking the best of both suits would be uh, ideal for me. Okay, so we might see you walking around with, say, a NASA helmet and a Russian suit on the bottom or something. We won't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the NASA helmet. You cannot exchange the helmet. But in, <laughs> I, actually, I do. I walk around in the Orland suit, the Russian suit, but on my chest, I will have American tools. Okay. And that's nominal. The Russian colleagues borrow tools. The Russian colleagues also borrow the headlights and um, the video camera of the American colleagues. So what you have on the helmet is um, is US tools. Okay, yeah. So all right, international space station, international international combination of suits. That's interesting. I mean, I I imagine it's really exciting for you. I bet that excitement is tempered somewhat by the intense training schedule. Has it sunk in yet that this year is the year that you're going to hop on a rocket and fly to the international space station? I think this moment will only really sink in once the, the engines light up and the rocket pushes me to space. Um, a lot of people ask me, and almost on a daily basis, are you excited? Are you nervous? It's like I've been preparing for this moment to launch into space almost like 13 years ago. Like in 2008, I applied to become an astronaut. You cannot be fully excited or, or nervous every single day. I mean, that's that's way too much. Yes, I say like uh, I'm fully prepared. Um, but I believe the moment when I 100% realize, oh, I'm actually going to space, will be once I'm strapped in and uh, the engines light up. Yeah, I can imagine. And as we speak, you're just a few months out from your expected launch date. So what do those next few months entail for you? Actually, I think we're pretty exactly 100 days, 100 days away from launch. During the last 100 days, we have a lot of refresher stuff from the training that we had one or two years ago. Um, we have a lot of science that needs to be done. So the baseline data collection, which means we have a lot of blood sampling, urine, all the stuff that you can measure, sports test before the launch to see our performance before flying to space. Then in flight, there will be such measurements taken. And when we come back, there will be Again, baseline data collection post-flight. And all this helps to understand how much of change we have lived through while being in space. Next week, I will be in Florida. There will be the sea survival training. Our capsule, the Dragon capsule, nominally lands in water. And so that means we need to be able to survive uh, in the sea. 
or on the sea and up to two days it can last until the rescue teams actually come and find us and pull us out of the water so that'll be a very interesting training yeah absolutely there's a lot of water involved in astronaut training as i can tell from these spacewalk trainings and then you've got sea survival so um have you packed are you packed and ready to go at this point well, I'm absolutely ready to go. But uh, I mean, my stuff is already on the station. All the, the gear that I need, the food, my clothes, they already flew up to station with one of the last um, supply missions. So I think the packing is not the issue anymore. Well, I still have my suitcase here, some of the stuff that I need to bring back to my house in Cologne. But apart from that, yes, I feel prepared. Right. So um, as a material scientist, that's your background is in material science. I can imagine it would be quite interesting to you to be able to go and do science in a laboratory that's like no other really. What are you most looking forward to or what kind of science will you be doing on board? Like as an astronaut, uh, I take part in around 35 European experiments and uh, I would even say like 100 to 150 experiments in total, like counting also the Japanese and the American experiments. As you said already, like I'm a material scientist, so I very much like all that turns around material science. I think that it's very exciting for innovation, new products, new technology. Like in 70% of all the cases, there's a new material involved. And so I believe material science is a big, big driver for innovation. And uh, we want to innovate in space uh, for the benefit of mankind. So all what is going to do with material science in space definitely will flow back into new technology on the ground. Material science is only one of the research domains in space. Another one is life sciences or medicine. And uh, every astronaut is actually a guinea pig. And so I take part in some experiments, which are really interesting. Data collection for a lot of different applications. Experiments, for example, that look into uh, how your eyes change while being in space, how the entire body reacts, like loss of bone, loss of muscles. Um, I bring up a new device, which is called electromuscle simulation. And this device will help me during sports to keep my muscles. And it is a very clever device. It uses electricity in combination with the standard sports exercises that I will be doing. And if that device performs as we hope and as we expect, then it can be actually door opener technology for our flights to the moon or to Mars later on. Because for a long duration flight, you cannot bring an entire gym like we have now on the ISS. In the Orion capsule, you can only pack a very small sports equipment. So combining the physical activity with electric, uh, electrical means uh, to activate the muscles, that will be very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking about innovation, I mean, 2021 has already been a really exciting year for spaceflight. We've seen um, Thomas fly on the Dragon for the first time. We've seen a couple of new commercial launches um, and obviously ERA. And while you're up there, I believe that Artemis 1 is also going to launch as well. Does this make you even more excited or even more hopeful for the future? What do you think is coming in the future for space? Yeah, I think we see so much news in like new activities in space. We just had uh, space tourists, like two different companies launch tourists into space, suborbital space only. But while I'm in space, there will be so many tourists flying, uh, more than in the 60 years uh, that we have seen so far. 
So um, in September, we will have the Inspiration 4 flight with four space tourists. Then early October, we will have a Russian actress and a Russian director being on the space station filming. Then um, in December, we will have a Japanese space tourist and early next year, then the very first Axiom flight coming to space. I will see so many people in space that I'm pretty sure it won't get boring at all. But that's only one aspect. The other side and the more important um, side is the science that we will see in space. So you mentioned already the first Artemis flight that will hopefully launch while I'm in space. Um, depends a little bit if everything is ready on time. But we'll also see the James Webb telescope launching while I'm in space. And uh, I think all this new technology, all the new instruments that we have available, it will open new possibilities, new doors. And so I'm very optimistic for like all the space activities in the next decade. So we, we see the ERA flying up to join the station and we see a lot of development happening on the station. We've got the new solar panels being rolled out. But initially, we were going to be coming to the end of the International Space Station. What's, what do you see is, is happening from here on in for the station? What's the path forward? Well, the ISS program is always funded for the next four or six years. And that has been the case since the beginning. And I think we are still a long stretch away from the end of the ISS. We see the Russians expanding their part of the International Space Station. They will fly the MLM hopefully today. And after the MLM, there comes also the UM, which is another node module. I absolutely don't believe they would enlarge the station just to pull out uh, a few weeks afterwards. I'm pretty optimistic that we will see the ISS being funded and to fly until 2030 at least. And uh, we will see maybe even beyond 2030. I wouldn't be surprised. And the other thing that's going to be happening while you're in space for Cosmic Kiss is ESA's going to be working through its selection process for these new ESA astronauts. So we've, the cutoff has happened, all the applicants have applied. When you look back on your own experience, as you say now, it's been 13 years or so, what advice might you have for those people who are anxiously waiting for a, a response or who might be thinking about how they can be involved in spaceflight? The selection process, it was such a tough time. You were so anxious. Like every round that you got further, you actually started to believe, oh, maybe I will make it. So in the beginning, um, I remember the very first round when for us, we were only like only eight and a half thousand and now we have 22,000. So probably I wouldn't have had any chance today, but um, I was lucky. The eight and a half thousand, they got down selected in down to 800 in the very first round. So that was already a very, very big cut, a cut that is made based on your documents. And so I thought like, Preparing these documents, I spent so much effort, so much time because I knew it's if I if I make only a small mistake that might cost me the chance to become an astronaut. And when finally the letter arrived and said like you're selected for the very first round, I was so happy, so happy. But then again, I thought like there will be so many good people and I won't have a chance. So I expected actually to be selected out in the very first round after the test that we had in, I believe, in Hamburg. But as I said, in the end, every round you get closer. And then at a certain moment, you actually start to believe I can make it. And, and in my special case, I was one of the 10 astronauts who got selected. Or actually, I passed all the, the exams uh, that you need to be selected. And uh, then I had a very last round that wasn't foreseen in the beginning, but the, the uh, director general of ESA called us and said, like, look, guys, you all passed the exams and you all can be astronauts. You could be astronauts, but I only have six tickets to space. So four of you won't be astronaut. And uh, I was one of the four. 
And now you're going to be launching to space very shortly and we can't wait to see it. It's going to be a great day for all of ESA and um, a lot of people who will be watching as well and wishing you all the best of luck. So I want to thank you once again for talking us through everything today, Matthias. Is there anything further that you'd like to say before we give you your time back for training? I think that's it. I think uh, many thanks to all the team that's standing behind this mission. It's um, as an astronaut, you're only one person who is in the limelight. And uh, but every one of us knows that it's a full team and it takes a full team uh, to run such a mission. So many thanks to everyone who works in ESA, to everyone who works in human spaceflight. It's an incredible team that we have and only together we can pull this off. An exciting time ahead. And if you're interested in following Matthias's mission, we recommend checking out his social media. You'll find him at Astro Matthias, Astro underscore Matthias is his handle on Twitter. He's also on Facebook and Instagram, and he'll be sharing his journey to the International Space Station with all of us back here on Earth. In the meantime, if there's anything you'd particularly like to know more about, don't hesitate to let us know on Twitter at ESA Spaceflight using the hashtag ESA Explores. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share via your favorite podcast platform so we can reach even more space fans. Thank you for listening to ESA Explores.